It was a chilly fall morning, and Derek, who was about five years old at the time, saw his dad getting ready to go outside and rake the yard that was covered in leaves. But before his dad opened up the door, Derek called out to his dad and he asked him, Can I come and help? And the second his dad said yes, Derek sprinted to go grab his coat, put on his little shoes, and to grab his little rake so that he could go outside and help his dad rake the yard. Derek was overjoyed at the fact that he was going to be able to go outside and to help his dad do some yard work. Now about 10 years later, it was another chilly fall morning, and the yard was once again covered in leaves. So Derek's dad called out to him, asking if he would come and help rake the yard. But he was met with an irritated, do I have to? To which his dad replied, yes. So Derek slowly dragged himself to go grab his coat, put on his shoes, and to grab his rake. And the chore took him way longer than it needed to because he sluggishly raked the entire time. And throughout the years, there was really a huge shift in how Derek viewed duties in the household. When he was younger, he was overjoyed at the fact that he was able to go outside and to help his dad with things around the house. But ever since he got older, these chores really seemed like duties and obligations and things that he needed to do. And his joy in doing them turned to discouragement. And as we think about our lives as Christians, do we find a similar truth at work in us? That as our God-given faith grows, we, we learn and we find more and different ways to serve God. But as these opportunities show up in our lives, do we sometimes view them as chores and as things that we're obligated to do? And because of this, do we sometimes approach the duties that we have as Christians with a negative attitude? And as you come to church on Sunday morning, do you sometimes feel as though this time could be better spent doing something else? Or when opportunities arise in the church to help out with the church council, to help out on a committee, or to help out with other events at church, or whatever it may be, do you sometimes feel like serving in these areas of ministry would really be more of a burden than anything else. And this negative attitude doesn't just show itself when we show that we don't really have a desire to serve, but this negative attitude can also show itself if we turn our duties as Christians into a checklist. Thinking that as long as we check off that we go to church, check off that we give an offering, check off that we share our faith with others or whatever it may be, that as long as we're checking off the right things in regards to our duties as Christians, that we're being the good Christians that God wants us to be. But this isn't what God desires for us. God doesn't desire us to have hearts that don't seek to serve him or to have hearts that simply turn our duties into some kind of checklist. What God truly desires for us is to approach our duties as Christians 
with a joyful heart that's eager to serve him out of love. Because we have a sinful nature that tempts us to view our duties as Christians with this negative attitude, how could we ever truly serve God with the joyful heart that he wants us to have? Well, in our verses for today from First Chronicles, we're going to see where that heart of joy truly comes from. And the book of Chronicles is really an interesting book in that it was written to the post-exile Israelites. And it doesn't simply just review Israel's history, rather it reviews Israel's history in a really unique way. And that it focuses much of its time on David and Solomon's lives, and specifically focusing on how they further the spiritual edification of the Israelites. And to the post-exile Israelites who barely survived extinction in Babylon, this focus was really to instruct them in righteousness. It was to lead them to learn from Israel's past so that they could see that the worship of the one true God needed to be the center and focus of their lives. And in our verses for today, we see really an amazing example of this as we hear of David joyfully giving to the building of the temple. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now here David isn't humiliating his son because God had chosen Solomon to build the temple rather than him. Instead, what David is doing here is he's really making the point that this is such a massive project that there's no way that it could be done if just one person tried to accomplish it. And so David makes the point that if this project is not only going to get done, but get done correctly, then really everybody needed to step up and help out. And David served as an amazing role model, as we hear of all of the things that he gave to support the building of the temple. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, and all these in large quantities. I mean, David didn't just give to the building of the temple. I mean, David gave generously, offering up all kinds of resources and precious materials. And later on, we hear that David even offered up his own personal treasure. And David's personal treasure was really served as a special fund that was a security blanket just in case he lost his throne during a time of war. And by David even offering this up, he was publicly placing his life and his security into God's hands. And the amazing example of David not only led the court officials to give generously to support the building of the temple, but it also led the entire Israelite nation to give generously and to give joyously to the one true God. And this magnificent offering, which was for a magnificent building, led David to express his own and his people's joy with a beautiful prayer. Blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel, 
our Father from eternity to eternity. To you, O Lord, belong greatness, power, glory, victory, and majesty, because everything in the heavens and on the earth belongs to you. You, Lord, are exalted as head above everything. The kingdom belongs to you. Riches and honor come from you. You are ruling over everything. In your hand are power and strength. It is in your power to make anyone great and strong. Now, our God, we are thanking you and praising your glorious name. In this first part of the prayer, David really puts offerings and gifts to the Lord in their proper context. And that being the fact that the center of giving is always God. You see, David realized that the only reason that they could give anything to God is because they had first received from God. And that everything they had had been given to them by God. And in giving these offerings to the building of the temple, they really found joy in something bigger than themselves. They found joy in serving the God who had blessed them so richly. And not only was God the one who had blessed them with all of this wealth that they could use to offer up to him out of thanks and praise, but as David continues his prayer, he also makes the point that God was the one who gave them eager hearts that sought to serve God out of joy. Who am I? And who are my people that we are able to offer willingly like this? For everything comes from you. What we have given to you came from your hand. We are aliens and temporary residents before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope of stain. Lord our God, all this abundance, which we have provided for the building a house for you, for your holy name, is from your hand. This abundance belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the hearts and you take pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now with joy, I see your people, who are present here to bring the offering freely to you. And who was David? And who were his people? As we look back on David's life as Israel's king, we see all kinds of situations where he was faithful to God and his trust in God was secure. But we also see all kinds of situations where his faith waned and in times of weakness, his sinful nature got the best of him. And his up and down life was also the case for the Israelites. And because he and his people were sinners, David realized that they deserved nothing from God. But you see, David's and the Israelites' sin isn't what defined them. No, what truly defined them was God's grace. Where even though they were sinners, God still held true to his promise to send them a Savior. And a Savior that would actually come through the line of David. And this Savior would bring for them the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven. And this message is what led David, the officials, and the entire Israelite nation to find joy in serving the one true God, who not only promised to save them, but also a world full of hurting souls. And with a heart that was full of gratitude for what God had promised to do for him, David ends his prayer with a very special request. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Preserve forever this purpose and way of thinking in the hearts of your people. Direct their hearts to you. David asked God to preserve this heart of joyful service forever. To lead him and his people to not simply give this amazing offering to the building of the temple and to think that there was no other way that they could possibly serve God. Instead, David asked that God would give them a heart that constantly sought new and different ways to serve their God out of thankfulness and joy for promising to give them the forgiveness of all of their sins. And we ask that God do the same for us. We ask that God direct our hearts to him so that we can have this same purpose and way of thinking in our lives. And in fact, God has actually given us these very hearts that seek to praise, worship, and serve him out of joy. And God has done this by serving us in the greatest way. Where even though we fail to serve God in joy at all times in our lives, that God delighted in sending his one and only son for us, who carried out the work of salvation, and who not only carried out this work, but who actually found perfect joy in accomplishing his Father's holy will. Where even though he would face all kinds of humiliation, physical pain, and even endure being forsaken by God on the cross, Christ delighted in carrying out this work because he found joy in winning for us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven. And this message is what gives us hearts of joy. And how could it not? When we see the depth of God's love and how far he would go to save us from all of our sins, how could we not rejoice at who our God is and what our God has done for us? And God equips us with the very hearts that seek to serve worship, and praise him out of joy. And with Christ's work in mind, we see all of our duties as Christians in a completely different light. We no longer see them as chores or as things that we're obligated to do. Instead, we see our duties as Christians as opportunities to serve our God and to show our thanks to him for the amazing things that he's promised to give us. And so with David, we can marvel at the fact that we are unworthy to be able to serve our God. But because of what God has done for us and because of who God has made us, we have the opportunity and we have the privilege to be able to serve our God as a way to show our thanks to him. And we can do this with hearts that are filled with joy and knowing that he has won for us the salvation of our souls. Amen.